We know that leadership can be a lonely place, so wouldn't it be amazing to have someone to share the journey with? Someone who can come in and ask all those awkward questions you've been avoiding? It's not like you don't know what you're doing or need to do, but sometimes it makes a big difference to have someone who's done it all before step in and help organise our thoughts. James Aiken Smith is such a man. We talk through the process of how a trusted advisor helps someone to straighten out what they're doing and get their business pushing in a clear direction forward, and for you to be fully focused on the right things and able to mute out all that distracting chatter. Hope you enjoy it, and please don't forget to rate us on iTunes or share this with someone you think might benefit from all this wonderful insight if you're listening anywhere else. When I started thinking about how to introduce James Aiken-Smith, it struck me that he is a man with a particular set of skills. Now, for some of you, this might bring thoughts of Liam Neeson and Taken. And to be fair, I think he could pull off that Hollywood thing. There's a certain debonair charm around him, which you'll discover in a moment. In fact, thinking about it, James is a bit of a hitman, but his target is in the boardroom, where by his own admission, he takes few prisoners. He's been called a coach, but that probably doesn't do justice to the breadth of business skills he's accumulated. Others might say he's a business consultant, but that doesn't take into account the support he brings to help some people develop themselves personally. So yes, a hitman he may be, but he also helps put you back together better and stronger after he's made you confront your darkest weaknesses, faults and all. To be honest, he's actually a really nice guy. Uh, James, you've described yourself actually as a trusted advisor. What, what does that mean for the people who you work with? Uh, Anthony, thank you. That's that's very kind of you, all those things you said about me. Um, I will try to live up to them. <laughs> so a trusted advisor, I I guess it really comes from, it's the old, old comment that people make, running a business is quite lonely. Whether you're running it on your own, whether you're running it with a board, whether you've got a whole bunch of other shareholders, directors around you, it's still quite lonely. My role is very much to be a guide, a navigator, if you like, to to a business owner, to give them an opportunity to unpack some of the challenges that they've got or some of the challenges that they can see, and sometimes the challenges that they can't see to help them help them identify those um, and give them a truthful, honest feedback on what they're doing, what they're not doing, what they could do differently. And it, it, I don't come with an agenda. I don't represent any particular um, interest group. I'm, I'm not a shareholder. I'm not a director. I'm not an investor. So I can be brutally honest with them and truthful uh, and pretty much hold up, hold up a mirror to them, if you like, and say, have a look in this mirror. What does, it, what does it tell you when you look in there? What can you see? So it's very much about that honest feedback, that honest conversation on issues that may arise in the business or may arise around how they're running the business. So when somebody picks up the phone and gives you a call or drops mm-hmm. you an email, is there a common thread of what's prompting people to do that in the first time in, in terms of when they're saying, God, I need a bit of I need a bit of James support here. What is it that's prompting them to give you a call in the first time? Yeah, I think there is a common thread. And it's more it's less to do with the business and more to do with 
them as individuals. So they've probably reached a point in their in their business life and their business development where things are going reasonably well. Uh, the business is probably doing what they want it to do. There may be some challenges, but fundamentally, it's doing okay. But that they can see there is a there's a, a another place that they want to go to. They want to take the business on to a different level or take it to a different place or go through some kind of significant transition that they probably haven't done before. Might be an exit, might be a merger. And they've reached a point where they go, essentially, I know some of this, but I don't know I don't know how to do a number of these bits and pieces. I could do with an outside opinion. I could do with an outside pair of eyes to just give me a little bit of a different perspective on what I'm doing. And perhaps to, to, to point out the things I don't know. What are the things I need to change? What are the things I need to uh, sort out in my own operation within the business? So it's around that issue of, I am here, I want to get there, but I don't quite know how to do it. Can you help me? Yeah, I thought it was interesting when you said about some of the things that people can't see. Mm. But in order to be able to do that, then presumably you've got quite a bit of experience yourself. So I was interested, before we get into... I guess those conversations that you have with people and, and how you help people just to, to go back a bit to find out a bit more about you as well and what you bring because you've you've had a, a few different iterations of of yourself in the past from what was it um training lifeboat men to an yep. online laundry yeah like quite yep. different things so, so tell me a bit about you <laughs> so I've worked for myself uh, pretty much all my working career, so more, I've worked for myself for more than 30 years now, I was never going to be an employee for very long. I started working when I was 17, I think, actually. I left school, didn't go to university, started working, pretty quickly worked out that working for somebody else wasn't going to be what I wanted to do. So I inevitably, I had to work for, for people for a few years, but I actually went out on my own in my mid-20s, set up a contract cleaning business in central London with a business partner, um, went pretty well. Um, we had some challenges but it went pretty well did that for a number of years sold that um, then we got in, I got into the uh, giftware business the wholesale and distribution business for again a number of years I actually can't remember how long it must have been about 10 12 14 years something like that and enjoyed that but probably but eventually got a bit bored of it um, I have a fairly short attention span if the truth be known I've always said if I look back most of the things I've done I've done for about five or six years and then I probably got a bit bored and just need to go and do something else. So there was that, um, got involved in a software business, um, which was to do, and, and the Lifeboat, the RNLI were our primary clients, where essentially we were taking, this was again going back, uh, I guess nearly 20 years, but we were taking all their paper-based training for all their lifeboat crew and turning it into digitally delivered training. Now, in those days, it was CD delivered, but it was very, it, it gave the RNLI an ability to actually understand who, who'd been trained in what, because they weren't entirely sure at that stage. So we did that. A couple of other bits and pieces along the way. Yeah, an online lingerie business, uh, set that up in 2003, I guess. It came about because I'd been to Canada on a business trip. Um, it, like all good husbands, I thought I need to take something back. Uh, oh, I'll go to a lingerie shop, walk walked in, uh, deeply scary, and the woman said to me, what size is your wife? And I'm going, well, how am I supposed to know that? I've only been married 20 years, I have no idea, and pointed to somebody else across the store and said, oh, about that size. Um, so bought some product, took it home, uh, gave it with you know, great pleasure to my wife, and she went, yeah, it's lovely, but it's the wrong size. Uh, inevitable. So I thought, there has to be a better way of doing it than that. It was in the early days of online retail, thought, yep, online retail, kind of get why that might work. 
and set that up actually with my wife and, and we had a lot of fun. We grew that business um, and got it to a reasonable scale. It was the number two uh, in terms of traffic in the UK. So we were pleased with that. Sold that in 2008-9 and looked around and thought, okay, what now? And really the phone started to ring from people who said, well, you've been around the track a good few times. Um, you've had some good good days and bad days. Could you come and talk to us? And it, and it grew from there. And essentially, go and talk to business owners, and, and they would describe their challenges to me. And within a very short space of time, I, I, I recognised that a lot of the challenges that they were having were the ones that I, I had had, and that it was very enjoyable and very pleasurable and very rewarding to be able to help them through some of those challenges and point out some of the pitfalls that they were going, they were heading towards. As I always say, I don't know all the answers, but I know where all the pitfalls are because I've been in pretty much all of them. And if I can help people avoid some, that's great. Did you have help yourself when you were running your own businesses? Not much. And I think on reflection, I wish I had a, a lot more. Um, as I say, I think it would have avoided, helped me avoid quite a lot of the mistakes that I did make. But I couldn't find anybody. And I do remember one day pretty much sitting at my desk with my head in my hands going, this is all just a real mess. I don't know how to sort this out. I could do with someone just helping me unpack this business, reassembling it for me to take it away and, and, and deal with it. And I couldn't find anybody. And so when I slightly fell into doing what I'm doing now, I realized actually that it was um, it was that person that I was looking for. And it's just been very, very rewarding. It's been the most enjoyable 10 years of my working career. So do you think that there has been a bit of a change since when you were in this position and would have appreciated some help? Because it feels at the moment as if there's probably a lot more coaches, there's a lot more mentoring, there's more incubation spaces, there's accelerator programs. Do you feel that that landscape has changed quite a lot? Yeah, I think massively. Um, I don't think it really, it, did, it didn't really exist for many, many years. And I think it probably did start to come about in a reasonable scale 10, 15 years ago. Yep, there's a stack of people out there um, who offer all sorts of different different services, different levels of support. Um, I think as a business owner, you've got to be pretty selective about who you work with. They don't necessarily need to be the most qualified person in the world, but they probably do need to be somebody that you really get on with and that you really resonate with and somebody who's going to be brutally truthful with you when they need to be. It's not about being nice to your clients necessarily. It's about being open and honest with them. So trust is very important in that case, in terms of you building up a good relationship with the people who you work with. Yeah, I think trust is probably the most important thing. If I if I meet a prospective client and I don't think there's going to be a trust and a good relationship, then I'm very happy to walk away from it and, and perhaps find somebody else that, 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 that might be able to help them. Um, I have to trust them. They have to trust me. I have conversations... And I mean, I've been a number of times people have said to me, business leaders, business owners have said, I've never told anybody this X, Y, and Z. I haven't told my wife. I haven't told my husband. Um, I certainly haven't told my business partners, et cetera, et cetera. So that's fine. I'm okay with that. Um, so there has to be a very strong degree of trust. I was talking to Warren Munson recently, and he was saying there was a, who's the, the chief executive of uh, Inspire. Uh, and he was saying that he'd been in an experience where there were two founders and they were getting on very badly with each other um, because they both thought that the other person wanted to sell the business and actually neither of them really wanted to. Mm -hmm. But it took somebody else to come in for them to have the conversation and strip away all of the 
barriers which have been set up. Mm-hmm. Is, is that the sort of thing that you encounter sometimes? Yeah, quite quite often, actually. I see it between uh, business partners. I see it quite often also in family-owned businesses where they're multi-generational. So despite the fact that they are family, they're not talking about the things that really matter. Uh, there's headbanging going on, and it, it requires somebody from outside. Absolutely. I don't I think it's very difficult to do it on your own. So, yeah, I'd absolutely agree with Warren. I think I think it's a it's an area where some outside support can add a lot of value in just getting down to the basics. Because I guess because somebody from outside doesn't come with all the baggage, um, they're just dealing with the issue that they can see. Um, there's no there's no there's no hidden agenda going on. So yes, I've worked in quite a number of those situations and family businesses. I, again, I do quite a lot of work in that, particularly when there's either a transition of ownership or a transition of power. Um, that can be really quite intriguing and quite, it's quite an interesting challenge. It's generally resolvable. I've not had one that wasn't resolvable, but you have to be quite, quite blunt with people at times. Is there a particular type of business that you work with in terms of size or sector or ability, or is it more about the relationship you build with people? It's not sector specific because I'm not there to tell them how to make widgets better. I I make the assumption that they're already very very good at making widgets. So that's that that side of the business they do what they do. It's it, it, it's in terms of size, um, my clients are typically two to thirty million give or take a bit. I've got a number of clients that are significantly larger, um, you know, into the hundreds of. I don't I don't tend to see smaller businesses um, because they probably can't manage the rate of change that, that that I would perhaps be suggesting they might want to look at. Okay. So rate of change. When you go into the company for the first time, mm. what are you looking for? What Where do you start that journey that you have? Because presumably it is it is quite a journey that you're taking for, especially if it's going to be at the rate of uh, pace that you want to push them in. Yeah, I mean, the rate of pace, it, it does depend a bit upon the client. Um, you know, it's their business, it's not mine. They have to decide what it is they want to do. I start typically, no, let's go back a stage on that. Somebody will ask me to come and see them and we'll sit down and spend an hour or so talking about the business. Absolutely fine. But I will then um, divert the conversation and start to talk about what it is that that, that motivates them. What are their plans? What are their aspirations? Where do they want to be in five years' time? What does their partner want out of life? Do they want to grow this business, sell this business, develop this business, hand it on to somebody else? Do they want to be sitting on a beach in five years' time? Where do they want to be? And so I, I, I get quite heavily into that, that that personal aspect of what what they're trying to achieve out of the business. And the reason that I I do that is that fundamentally the way I describe it to people, a business is a delivery van. Its job in life is to be subservient to you as the business leader or the business owner uh, and to essentially provide you with the wherewithal to do the things in life you'd really like to do. Very, very few people have ever said to me, if it was my last day on earth, I'd go to the office. They they just don't. There are other, thing, other things that are more important. The other things that are more important generally require the vouchers, which is the money that you need to do it. Now, that might be because they want to move house. It might be they want to put kids in a different school, or it might be they want to give all the money to the cat's home. I really don't mind, but you need the vouchers to do it. So it's trying to understand what their motivation is. What What is it that they really want out of life? And what's what's their destination? Because it's, it's, not a, it, it's not, or it shouldn't be, just about the business. The business is just the delivery van. How many people do you think have usually asked that question of themselves, or have they got so sucked up into what they're doing with the business that they've forgotten about that part? 
Uh, I think most people, when they start a business, they, if, if they have started it themselves, they've sat in the pub and they've gone, I've had this brilliant idea and we're going to start this business. And in five years' time, we're going to be uh, in a very different place. We might have made a stack of money and we're going to sell it and go and sit on the beach for the rest of our lives. That's the sort of you know, general terms. That's what, the way, what perhaps the way it goes. That then gets consumed mostly by real life. By the time I see business owners, which is usually some time into their business journey, they've pretty much forgotten what it is that they're trying to achieve. They almost certainly haven't had a long conversation with their partner about it, whether that be their business partner or their life partner. Um, and they're just, to some extent, going through the motions. So I stop them for quite a chunk of time and get them to drill down on what it is they really, really want to do. I can't think I've had many people that I've sat with who've had a very clear idea. They've generally either not thought about it or they've forgotten. So what steps? So if somebody is in that position, what steps should they take? What do you get them to actually do physically and mentally in order to come up with some of those answers? So what I generally do is how, how, I, how I do this is when I meet a, a prospective client for the first time, I'll sit down with them for an hour, probably a couple of hours, actually, and just really get to grips with what's going on in their business, build that rapport, build some trust so that they're comfortable to talk about whatever it is that they want to deal with. The, the next session I have after that is, a, is probably a half a day session. And I call it an alignment session. And it's about, it's about tr trying to understand what their, what their desires, what their hopes and dreams for themselves and for the business are, and then getting those uh, all aligned together. As I say, if the, if the business is the delivery van for your, for your personal life, then you need to know what your personal life wants. Otherwise, you can't drive the business in the right direction. So my preparation for that is to, is to suggest that they actually spend some real time asking themselves, you know, or, or transport themselves five years into the future. It's difficult to go much beyond that. But five years into the future and go, what does very, very good look like? If I could design anything, if I could, if I could design my perfect life in five years' time, what would it be? And I ask people to, be, to suspend reality a little bit for that and just be quite bold and be quite brave. And a lot of people find that really quite hard. But if you... If you ask the right questions and challenge them enough, they will start to come up with it. Uh, I encourage them to go home and ask that question of their husband or wife, if 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 they have one, or partner, or whatever it might be. And often the response they get is, "Oh, I've never I've never asked them before." Well, you might want to because actually they're part of this journey. So go off and do that. Come back and then let's have a look at that. And let's, and, and people find it quite difficult. I try and get them to put it into numbers. Um, and the reason I do that is because at the end of the day, most things come down to what, you know, to the numbers. I want to retire in five years. I need to, you know, the, the, what, what are the finances behind it? If people just say, well, I want a better life, you know, I can't do that. I have no idea what that means. But if they go, well, yes, I'd like to retire in five years. I'd like to have this amount out of my business or I'd like to move my business to do so and so or pass it on to my next generation. Fine. That's a specific. So, again, I think in Britain, we find that quite hard because I think we find talking about money quite difficult. And I think we find talking about our own personal finances often quite hard. So it's an, it's an interesting one for people and it gets them thinking. Yeah, no, it really uh, sounds mm -hmm. it. I mean, I, presumably that some people don't necessarily have the answer because you look ahead in five years mm -hmm. and you think, well, do I want to retire? Maybe I don't want to retire. Maybe I want to be part of the business still, mm -hmm. or maybe I want to set up another business, mm -hmm. or maybe I just can't ever actually envisage myself in a position where it's fine looking at Sir Philip Green on a yacht in Monte Carlo, but I don't ever see myself being that sort of person. So when you bring it back down into those tangible objectives, that makes it very real, because in a way you don't 
always necessarily have to make the decision about what that life looks like. But in terms of, do I have options? And then if you've got those objectives in terms of some sort of financial trigger, then yep. that at least will buy you the time. So if you don't necessarily have the clarity, it doesn't matter in terms of what you're looking to try and do because you're trying to get people to a particular point which is financially backed up. Well, I think I think it is important to have some degree of clarity. And how I try and describe it to people is, look, your life is going on and you're on a journey through your life. Whether you like it or not, you just are. So I'm trying to help them map out that journey to some extent. As I, I describe it to people, look, if, if, you, if I asked you to get in your car and drive to Aberdeen and there's no roadmap and there's no sat-nav and there's nothing else, you're going to go somewhere, but you probably aren't going to go to Aberdeen. You are going to go on a journey. <laughs> and I think, I think running your business and, running, and, and the consequences it has in your personal life is that if, if you don't have some kind of vision, is a bit like being on a journey without any kind of map. You are going to go somewhere, but probably not where you want. Okay. So why wouldn't you try and be a bit more specific about it? So if you've got some clarity about your personal goals, mm -hmm. presumably you, you need to start looking at the business at that point. So do you, yeah. do you start with the business plan and what does that look like? And uh, Yes, I think once one's got some clarity around uh, personal goals, you can then translate that into the business because you can say, for the sake of argument, the purpose of this discussion, right, I, you know, I'd like to have two, three, four, five million pound pot in five years' time. Okay, where are you now? Well, I'm five, ten percent of that. Well, okay, so what, what does the business have to do to deliver that for you? And you can actually generally do a bit of reverse engineering on that and go, well, I'd like to sell it. I need to sell it for X, Y, and Z. Okay, what's it worth now? Such and such. Fine, that, there's a gap there, and that's the gap that we've got to cross. So I, I, I tend, to look at, tend to look at that with people. Now, it doesn't mean they have to exit or it doesn't mean that they want to retire. It just gives them at least some kind of picture of what this journey is going to be about. So I encourage them to think about that. And as I said, once you've got some sort of basic gap analysis, you can then start to, to put into that some of the detail that needs to get done. Now, I encourage people not to write 50-page business plans because, frankly, no one's ever going to read them apart from the bank. I'm, I'm not sure they will read them. If it, Generally, if it's more than a few sides of A4, it's probably too much information. So, again, I would encourage someone to go, right, you know, headline numbers. Where, what, what, do you, what does life look like in five years? Such and such. Okay, so to achieve that, what do we need to get done over the next 12 months? And if you ask the right questions and challenge people, they will tell you, in a business sense and in, a, and in their personal sense, what they need to get sorted out. They, they will generally know, fine, let's work back from that. What do I need to get done? Or what do you need to get done in your business over the next three months to move this forward? Again, if I ask the right questions, they will tell me. And I can usually break it down from that and go, right, well, what, what do you got to do next week? And you'll be surprised. People do know if they're asked the questions and they're given the space to think and the clarity of, of purpose, they can work it out. So in order to do that, then presumably managing your time is quite an important aspect of this. So there's a, a quote, I think, I think it's a quote from you, actually, which is, am I working towards one of my goals by doing this, or am I stealing my own time? And you said, if you don't have a clear idea of where your business is going, and the things you need to do to get there, almost every task becomes a waste. You are effectively giving your time away when it's not a move forward towards your ultimate goal which I thought was great, actually, because managing time's really hard. Um, or or people find it very hard. Maybe it shouldn't be that hard. But is that an important next step for you to try and help people to understand what is and isn't important to them? Yeah, time is, is probably the number one. 
uh, I've never walked into anybody's office yet, or never, no one's ever walked into my office and go said to me, do you know what, Tuesday afternoons I have nothing to do, could you fill it with this coaching stuff because I've got to do something. It doesn't work like that. People, you know, Everybody's busy. Um, we all have the same amount of time, whether you're, you've got a, a very uh, um, you know, lowly job or you are Warren Buffett. You've got the same amount of time in your life. You have the same, same number of hours in the day. It's how you choose to use it. And I say to people, it's not about time management because you can't manage time. It's constant of the universe. It's self-management. It's what you choose to do with your time. It's absolutely a matter of free choice. You, you can choose to do something or you can choose not to. So I encourage people to think really carefully about what they're doing and to value their time really, really carefully and not to get drawn into doing things that don't make sense because... Well, they quite like doing it. Well, you know, I kind of get that, but that's not necessarily going to help you achieve what you want to achieve. So are there tricks or tips that you can give to people? So so if there are some people who are particularly poor with time management, are there things that you can give them to do in order to try and help them? Or do they just have to make decisions? And that decision is, is this going to help me on my one week, 90 day, one year, mm. five year plan? Uh, and if it is, do it. And if it didn't, chunk it. No, I, I, I spend quite a bit of time with people actually helping them understand where, that, where their hours in the day are going. Um, and yes, there's absolutely some tools and some tips. It, it might be about keeping a log. Uh, it might just be tracking where, the, where is their time going. Uh, not many of us do that. Uh, and I think when we do do it, certainly I do it reasonably regularly with myself, it's slightly horrifying. And I go, okay, I, should, I, I shouldn't do that, or I don't need to do that, or I need to outsource X, Y, and Z. So definitely managing that. Definitely making um, taking taking advantage of some of the technology so that we're using our time sensibly. We're not we're not just getting dragged uh, along by the day. I think there's a great a lot to be said for that. So t- the 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 use of time, the understanding of the value of your time. Are you doing a ten pound an hour job? Are you doing a fifty pound an hour job? Um, is really really important. I, I had a client I worked with for quite a long time. And it's a good example that when I first met, quite a decent sized business, 10, 10 million pound business, um, was driving a truck a couple of days a week. I go, well, why? Well, I can't get a driver. To which my answer was, are there no drivers left in the Western world? Probably are. Uh, anyway, just used to go driving a truck two days a week. And so I said, do you ever go and see your customers? No, no, I never have time to see customers. No, because you're driving a truck. Eventually got a new driver in. I'd said, let's have a look at your customer list. Have you ever seen this customer? No. Um, how long have they been a customer? Oh, I don't know, five years or so. Well, do you think we're worth going to see them? Slightly reluctantly, went out to see this customer, took him an, an hour to drive there, an hour to drive back, a couple of hours with the customer, so four hours, and came back with what was going to earn him 40,000 quid's worth of gross profit over the course of the year. So I just simply said, simply said to him, look, it's your choice. You can drive a truck at 10 quid an hour, that's fine, or you can go out and see customers and you can earn 10,000 pounds an hour. It's it's your time, it's your money, you make the choice. And he was a bit horrified by actually the, the consequences of just driving a truck. Um, and the good news is in, in his particular case, I still get phone calls occasionally from his team going, he's out driving a truck. We just wanted you to know. We think you should ring him. Um, and sometimes I do. And I can hear the truck in the background. What are you doing? No, I'm, I'm, I'm out saying customer. No, you're not. You're driving a truck. So. But sometimes truck driving is fine. Well, I suppose there's, there's also, presumably there's part of him which quite likes that. Yeah, kind of like that's in terms okay. Of, you know, maybe that's thinking time for him and getting out of the office. And Yes, thinking time is really valuable. I got a lot of stick from my clients last year when my daughter moved house and I spent three days painting her new house. And they said, why are you painting your daughter's new house? Why don't you pay somebody else to do it? 
to which the answer was, it's a parental obligation and I'm enjoying doing it. And that's okay. It's fine. I recognised I wasn't wasn't working, earning money in the sort of you know, conventional sense, but I, sometimes it's just fun to do things. Well, there was another quote, again from you. You're going to be full of quotes today. Oh, dear. So having the drive to move out of your comfort zone can be difficult. I've definitely had to do that a few times this week, but I've grown as a result. Outside of your comfort zone is where change happens. Now, you quoted this referring to a skiing holiday. Yes. So does that also apply to business? And certainly in, in the uh, case of your truck driver, maybe there's the application there. Yeah, it is. Well, we definitely, definitely do things that keep us in our comfort zone because they're, they're easy. They're just, it, it, it is, you know, the clue's in the name. It's comfortable. Um, doing things that are a bit different are a bit scary. It, it, it's also, it's habit-based. So a lot of what I get involved with is helping my clients recognise that what they're doing is a habit. Now, the habit might have been fine when they started it, but it may not serve them well now. So they need to change their habits to do to work, to, to, to find something that actually suits them better. That's pretty difficult. We're biologically programmed to stick to habits. It's just, it's just the way that our brains work. Changing habits is pretty hard, but it's a big part of what I do is helping people recognise that say, what they were doing was fine when they were started it, but it's not relevant now. I think life has moved on. That's a comfort zone thing. We just do it because it's com- it's comfortable. So go do something different. Just get, scare yourself occasionally. So uh, I suppose there's a difference between scaring yourself and recklessness. Is there a, is there a line that gets drawn in terms? I mean, I've always had a, th- a feeling that that <clears throat> that expression "think outside the box" just just bugs me because for me, you know, my background originally is theatre. And so I always think, well, why are you getting in the box in the first place? Sure, you should just never be there. Mm. So, so you wouldn't ever have to think outside of it. But then again, I worked in theatre and I had no responsibilities, really. It's a, it's a very free-flowing environment. So I'm not sure how that works in the business world and whether if you break out of your comfort zone too often, do you actually start to risk what you're trying to do in a broader term or risk the people who are working with you? I think it depends upon your appetite for risk. Um, and, you know, slightly flippantly, if it works, it was a good risk. If it doesn't work, that was reckless, I suppose, is the honest answer. But it, it's there are occasions when you do have to push yourself and push your boundaries. Um, if you don't, you're not going to grow. The, and more importantly, the business won't grow. So what tends to happen is that if a business owner gets stuck at a particular point or a particular level, then the business will get stuck with them because it can't grow it, it it can't get any bigger than the business owner's ability or capability so and that requires the business owner or business leader probably to change what they're doing to change their habits and probably try things that are that might seem a little bit scary um but if to be honest if you're not up for a bit of risk then you probably shouldn't be a business leader yeah, I mean, being a leader, <clears throat> being a strong, can you define what being a leader is? Can you, can you, did you understand what are the elements which make somebody a good leader? I think the difference between being a good manager and being a good leader, as much has been written about it, and I'm not sure there's any 100% certain definition of it. But being a good leader is very much about inspiring your team, about looking after your team, but not actually being there telling them what to do all day long. They shouldn't need that. Um, there may be occasions when they do have to have that degree of directional management, but it's much, much more about having that big vision, having your eyes out of the boat is how I describe it. Look, looking around you, seeing what's going on. Again, talking to Warren the other day, we, we were saying, we were talking about who is the most important first hire almost. And, uh, and he was saying a good ops manager. So having somebody who can look after the business 
to give you that freedom maybe to be a leader. Mm. Um, do, do you recognize that? Is, is that is that possible to be able to get somebody else, to entrust somebody else, to be able to have the running of the business so you can get on with other stuff and you don't have to get sucked into driving trucks and things like that? I think all of us find hiring people tough and managing teams tough. I don't think anybody, well, I think very few people find that an easy task. But if you're not prepared to tackle that one, the business can can never expand. It'll, it, in essence, it remains a one-man band. There are going to be lumps and bumps along that way. So I tend to suggest to people, look, hire really good, good stuff um, because that's probably, find people who know more about it than you do because that's likely to push you to grow, push the business as well. It's, but it's a challenge. It's absolutely a challenge, especially in today's market when employment is difficult. Uh, there are not many good candidates out there, and they can change jobs very easily. So hiring, finding and hiring good people is exceedingly hard. How can you define good people? Because when people come up for an interview, you know, obviously you don't try and apply, uh, employ somebody who you think is going to be bad for the job. But also there's that other idea of trying to get people who challenge you, trying to get people who are better than you. There's mm. a whole load of descriptions which mm-hmm. are used. Do you see people really doing that? Does that work? Do people do people step out? Again, I suppose that's breaking out of your, your comfort zone. Some people feel perhaps a little bit uh, inhibited by the idea that they've got somebody who's going to be better than them because they want to be the boss and that's how they equate it. Well, yes, I think that is something that I would question quite hard with with a business leader or business owner that if, if they're of the opinion only they can do it, then they are they're going to cap their business. It it can't grow beyond their capacity and because they can only work so many hours in a week. You've you've got to get some decent people in, and actually, as I say, I think employ people who are better than you. Be be very good at employing. You don't necessarily have to be very good uh, at making widgets because there comes a point in your business life when you should have better widget makers than you are in the business. That's what they're there to do. Um, but the thing that you've got to learn to do is to is to run the business, and that's the that's a really interesting area for people typically if it's a smaller business they've woken up one day and gone great i'm going to make widgets because i like making widgets i'm going to start my own widget making business and off they go and they make widgets and that's fine and the business grows to a reasonable scale quite often it's a you know one two three million pound business but it reaches a point when they the business leader has to and business owner has to make a mental flip they've got to stop being the widget maker and now become the business leader and and run the business and that's a whole new skill set for people it doesn't mean just making widgets better no someone else does that i've now got to learn to run a, to, to run a business really really well you don't see the chairman of ford going down into the factory and pointing out that some of the seats haven't been bolted in properly that's not his job any longer his job is to run that business it's quite different and for a business to go from that's quite small to mid-size the leader needs to learn the new skill set, which is actually I need to run a business. It could be any business because the fundamentals are the same. It's not about being the best widget maker in the world anymore. So that that requires <clears throat> quite a big step change in your mentality and how you see things. Do you think that's something which evolves naturally where you it, almost you, you develop, you, you, when you've decided that you want to make widgets, mm-hmm. that's a, an itch that you have to scratch mm-hmm. for a while and hopefully there's a point at which you go, yeah, no, I've scratched that for quite long enough and I, I feel like I'm very good and competent at that. 
you, you gave me something recently actually by Ray Moore, the business growth guide. Mm. And it said essentially that things, if something's not growing or it doesn't adapt to its environment, mm. it's going to wither and die. And that's the same with businesses. However, there are a huge amount of lifestyle businesses out there which presumably aren't necessarily growing. They're just ticking over very much the same way. And there are people having a nice, comfortable uh, earning, um, living from that. So is there that that pivotal moment when you decide that you're going to step on from being that person to getting away from the widget making and into the managing and into the the growth and actually being a proper CEO? Uh, and maybe you just don't actually get involved with the people who decide not to do that. Yeah, I, 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 I can't tell you the numbers off the top of my head, but the vast majority of businesses in the UK and I'm sure <coughs> elsewhere are lifestyle businesses. Uh, there are relatively few or comparatively few that go beyond that. If people want a lifestyle business, absolutely great, fabulous, go do that. But for the ones that, that have that urge to take it onto the next level, the change that they have to make in their own minds is, I need to become the leader of a bigger business. What do I need to learn about doing that? Relatively few people spend much time learning how to run a business. They might spend time learning how to make widgets, but they don't do they don't do the the bit about learning how to run their own business. Um, and my my acid test for that is to ask people what was the last business book they read, what was the last podcast they listened to, and more often than not, I get a oh I haven't haven't read a book for a while, which is usually code for years. Um, okay, fine. So how do you expect to get better at this? It's you're going to get better by trial and error, which is not a great not a great system. So presumably the next step, what you, you've kind of you've looked at the leadership. Uh, capabilities, you've looked at personal growth, you've looked at business plan, you need to get into the sales side of things. And I was looking at something from this guy, uh, Nick Mako, who's the co-founder of Legacy Box, who says, shut up and sell something. Nothing humbles you more than trying to sell a product. How, how much focus do you put on the financials in terms of understanding where you're at, understanding the value of what you have, understanding what it is that your customers actually want from you? Uh, is that uh, the important next step that you would move into? Yeah, I think there's two questions there. I think um, one is understanding the finances, and then the second one is understanding the sales process and the marketing process. Um, finance is absolutely critical, unless the business owner is an accountant. Uh, the finances are something they probably just ha they're picking up as they go along. It's something that I see many people struggling with. They don't necessarily get it. They they probably haven't spent as much time looking at it as they might and they should. Um, it's not infrequent for me to go to see somebody and I say, "Great, have you got your management accounts?" And they open the drawer and they get them out and they dust them down and give them to me. Well, okay, I know that they're not really looking at them. Fine. So I'm not asking you to be an accountant, but you need probably need to understand that better than you than you currently do. What What are the important things to understand? Well. It, they don't need to be an accountant is probably the most important thing they need to understand. Actually, it's the basic numbers. Uh, it's, it's, not, it's not necessarily the detail because they can probably pay someone else to do that. But they just need to understand the sales, the gross profit, their costs. Where is, where is the money going? Are they making a profit out of this? Why are they doing this? Which products are making profits? Which ones are not? Which customers do you want to be working with? Um, drill down and have a look at some of that detail because that's the bit that really, really counts. So I do encourage people to look at that very carefully and to really get a grasp of what their numbers are doing. If they can't give me a, an accurate answer, what's your gross profit percentage? If they can't give me an accurate answer, if they go, oh, I think it's about so-and-so, actually, you don't know, do you? And that's 
sort of okay, but we need, but you need to know. We need to get to the bottom is it, of it. Is it sometimes people don't actually understand the terminology which is being used around finance, and it's like they've got a fairly good grasp of going, well, you know, we made this much profit, but that's a... Yes, I think that's absolutely right. Intuitively, most business owners will tell you how their business is doing. Yeah, it's doing okay, it's doing well, but not so well, whatever. They'll intuitively know. They probably don't have the handle on the detail in, in many cases, and certainly in some cases they don't understand it. I've had business owners say to me, here are my accounts, I don't really get them, can you explain them to me? <laughs> to which the answer is, look, I'm not your accountant, you should probably ask them that, but I'll talk you through the bits that, that will make some sense and then, then go and get more advice. So it's not unusual. In larger businesses, yeah, that's, that's not an issue that I would come across because I, there's probably a room full of people who are doing that for them. Um, and that's absolutely fine. So it, it, it's dependent upon the size of the business. What about margins? How important are margins, understanding what those margins are between kind of what you're making oh, and you're selling? Oh, absolutely crucial. If you're, not, if you're not making a margin, why are you doing it? You, you know, you're just going into work to work hard and to make no money. Um, absolutely vital. But again, people don't, don't often don't quite grasp that. And, and it, it tends to be more of a challenge in smaller businesses where it's a, well, we just have to reduce our prices. We've just got to, we've got to cut our prices to sell. Well, you can do, but all you're going to do now is work harder for less money. Why would you do that? So I, I, I've got a piece of a sheet that I show them, which demonstrates the effect of, um, or the consequences of cutting your price and how it actually slashes your, your margin considerably. Because when you reduce your price, all you're doing is giving away a disproportionately large amount of your margin. Well, that doesn't make sense. So let, let's have a look at the alternatives. Mm. Do, you, do you get people to, to really drill in to understand uh, people at an individual level in terms of, the level of the contribution that they're making. I mean, I suppose it may be slightly different between whether you're a product-making business or whether you're a service uh, model business. But in terms of the amount of uh, time and productivity that you get from individual people, do you start going into that detail or do you look at it through departments? How, how much detail I, do you get into? I... I I probably won't get involved in that level of detail, but I would encourage them to might encourage the owner to understand it, the leader to understand it. And if, if they've got um, a, a good team of in-house accountancy people, get them to understand it and get them to present it. But that's not about having um, a 200-page report every month because they're never going to read it. Mm-hmm. It's about understanding what the key bits of information are and not having and say not too much. Typically, I try and get people to break or suggest that they, they get their, 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 their knowledge from sort of three areas within the business, and that can be both accounting and KPIs. So I would look at um, finance, ops, and, and, and really sales. You know, what, what are you doing in those three areas? Well, finance is, are your, are your fun, is the financial data that's coming out of the accountancy package. Absolutely. But let's look at your sales guys. How many have you got? What are they doing? How many calls are they making? What's their conversion rate on calls? How much are they selling per, per visit if they're going out to see somebody? Why is it that when Fred goes out, he sees six people in a day, um, converts three and gets you know, £1,000 worth of business? But when Bill goes out, um, he sees less but gets more. Well, hang on. What can we learn from that? Um, what are they doing differently? So I, I would get them to start to think about that level of sales. Ops, absolutely, is very much about understanding the, the non-financial data around the business. And now it's going to be business dependent, so there's no, not necessarily standard KPIs that I would suggest they look at. But again, if you ask the business owner to stop and look at it, they will know the things that they should be tracking. If they are, great, let's look at them. If they're not, then we need to start tracking them because the numbers don't lie. Is that... Is that something that people are good at, that people pick up and, and they have a look at 
salesperson one versus salesperson two and saying, okay, well, they're seeing a few people, but they're getting better conversion rates. Mm-hmm. What is it that they're saying? How do they, how do they understand the business? How do they communicate the business? And so looking into that USP element, what it is that you're actually, well, the difference between what you're trying to sell and what people actually want to buy. Uh, do they generally know? Should they generally? Yes, is probably the answer to that. And I think that's whether that's a a, a small business or or a you know, large billion pound business. There's often not the depth of understanding about what's going on that there that there could be. And I would encourage people to look at it. There are what I say to to my clients is there are very very few magic bullets that are going to transform your business. It's going to be the incremental effect of making a lot of very small changes. If I could walk in and go, just change this one thing and your life will be complete, that would be fabulous, but that's not the case. So it's lots and lots of, of, of bits added together. It's a percent here and a percent there and another percent there. And, you know, and if you do a little bit of something every week, the compound effect is what's going to make the difference to the business. So just understanding these numbers, working on this thing, is going to compound up to give you overall a significant benefit. You won't see much to begin with. It takes time. But overall, it's going to give you a, a bit of a hockey stick effect. It reminds me a bit of, of something that you had on your Twitter page. In fact, um, James's Twitter page is great. There's so many little insights and uh, little quotes and things to have a look at. And there was something you had on there about the two shoe salesmen that go off to, into distant lands. Does that ring any bells? Uh, no, I have to say it doesn't. Okay. That, one, that one doesn't. You're going to have to edit that bit okay, out. Okay, so there were two uh, shoe salesmen who go off into distant lands uh, to go and see if there's a market for their shoes. And they go to these lands and they f- realise that nobody is wearing shoes. So salesman comes back and goes, there's no market there. Nobody wears shoes. And then salesman number two comes back, oh my God, there's a huge market. No one wears shoes. Yeah. Uh, and and so they're trying to understand what it is that your product and which market it is you're aiming at is quite good. Yeah, it is. And I, I, I do encourage people to look very hard at their sales and marketing. Uh, you know, something that I bang on to, to my clients about is that, in essence, profitable sales fix everything. So it, you know, that's what it comes down to. But not many people went into a business, took over a business because they liked selling. That's not the purpose of it for most people. It's because they like doing whatever it is, the widget making element. But sales are what it's all about. So it is very much about really getting a grasp on your sales, getting a handle on your marketing and, and seeing what's working, what's not working. And for a lot of business leaders, that's a bit of a black art that they don't really grasp. Okay, fine. Well, I'm not trying to suggest that you become the best salesman in the world, but we probably need to understand it at a greater depth than you have right now, because that's going to make a difference. So we, we talked about the value of recruiting, right? What about the value of training? How much time do people or how much... Uh, do you suggest that people actually put into training of the people who they already have in order that, well, salesman one could be as good as salesman two, uh, but that can be trickled down across the whole of the business. Mm. Do you see people giving their staff enough support? I encourage my clients to support their staff pretty significantly, actually, because I think it, I think it's it, it, it's essential for the business. Um, it's essential for the individual. And to be honest, it's part of what I would describe as being the employment brand these days. If you don't support your staff, they're likely to up and go and find somewhere else. So I think it's, it, 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 and conversely, um, it, 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 there's an old saying that to some extent, if I train my staff, they they up and go. Um, if I don't train my staff, they're going to stay. And actually, that doesn't really make sense either. So I think it's I think it's vital these days. I think you've got to look after your teams. You've got to encourage them. You've got to upskill them. I describe it to my clients as a bit of an escalator. So let's move everybody up one step and then get somebody in at the bottom and move them up a bit. Then you end up with a really bright and good team. Um, It's vital. 
It's so so that makes good. training kind of positioned as part of culture as well. And how much time yes. do people spend on doing that? Because in terms of training people and keeping them, you've got to give them a reason to want to stay. I was talking to Sue Pilgrim um, a couple of months back, and she was saying, back in the day, Virgin used to throw these amazing parties. Mm. Uh, they used to pay people worse than anybody else. But people loved the parties, and they felt like they were in the zeitgeist of being cool in London in the late 80s. Yes. So they would stick around because they just had a great party. and. And they would throw money at the party, but there was a lot less than the extra money they would have had to have paid people. So there was a motivation beyond just having the best salary. It was just part of that culture that they created really, really well. So how much time do people spend on their culture? Do you feel that you get the dividend back of whatever time you spend and you put in? Clients and business owners in general um, don't spend as much time on culture as I think they could or they should. A good and successful culture will transform the business. An average or a poor culture will seriously damage it. So it, it, to me, it's, a, it's almost a non-negotiable. There has to be some time and effort put into building a successful culture. Uh, I've, you, your, your comment about Virgin is absolutely right. I think it's rare that somebody will say, I love working here, it's a great job, but I've been offered five pounds more uh, an hour down the more a week down the road by somebody else. But it's going to be a miserable place. They, it, it's not about the money necessarily. It's much more likely to be about the feeling of the business and the culture within the business. So, building culture absolutely crucial. It's the business leaders, it's the business owners' responsibility to look after that. Um, I'm not saying they have to do it, but they have to lead that process, and it comes from the top down. It does not come from the bottom up. So they my opinion, should spend um, a good deal of time on that and really think about what the culture means and how they're going to build that. And and that's that's a bit like grasping smoke. It's quite a difficult thing. So again, I ask people, well, what books have you read on culture? What podcasts have you read? Have you listened to on uh, on culture? What do you understand about it? And I generally get sort of blank looks back. Okay, well, let's go and learn about it. Let's go and find out more about it because it's it's the thing that's going to make the difference. Why is it if you go to an Apple store, the the, the people who work in the store they evangelise about the products. They absolutely love. They are just so passionate about it. It's not because they're necessarily being paid more money. It's just that they the culture within that business is something they'd want to be a part of. They would walk through fire for that. Have you seen good examples of how people have applied that within their business to try and improve it? It's a long process. Is the is the honest answer it's not something that can change overnight um yes i think it's it's not just simply um the oh well we have cakes on friday uh, or we have a you know, beer on friday afternoon that's not what it's about it's much more about a feeling of belonging of being part of something that really matters being part of a of a, of a longer term business that's got some has a great future it's not just about hitting the numbers at the end of the month it's it's wanting to be part of something that really matters um i've just read simon sinek's new book the infinite game it just made me think of it yeah, yeah and it's a great great book and it talks at, at some detail about culture uh and he gives a lot of great examples of why culture is critical to the future and the success of the business. And the, the, the premise behind the book is that it's, business is not finite, it's infinite, and, and it's how you create that within your, within your own business. And I think I, I would recommend anybody to read that. It's a good book, well worth reading. There's also a podcast called Blast Theory, no, Impact Theory, Impact Theory, which there's a really good interview, kind of like an hour interview with, with him where he talks about it. So okay. if you 
don't, if you're not the reading type and you want to have a look at that, then uh, check out Impact Theory. Mm. It's a really uh, good interview. But one of the things he says on that is, as part of the infinite game, that you mentioned about being sales target driven. And if you put that into an annual basis, it means there's this mad scrabble for trying to hit your targets mm. uh, come February and March uh, before the year end uh, or whenever the year end might be for you. But if you have an infinite game, you stop thinking in such short-term annual uh, basis and think, well, if you knock over a little bit further and if you go into April or May, if you deliver those, hell, what, you know, is that better to have got good sales which have been well-crafted and relationships preserved rather than trying to coerce people, discount, heavily discount to make people think, well, hold on, am I paying too much if you can Mm -hmm. afford to give me a discount Mm -hmm. for this? Mm -hmm. What's your take on that? My view is that, business tends to have a very short-term approach to things. Uh, and I think that, that to, to our cost, to our great cost, I think a longer-term approach is a, is a more sustainable approach. Um, I think you've only got to look at how the city operates, which is utterly and totally driven by traders, analysts, wanting to hit their, their, their targets for this quarter or this month to get their bonus. They don't really care what the company or the long-term future of the business that they're talking about is is about because they'll be they'll, they personally will be long gone. So I think a sh- I think we take in this country and we have done for many years, decades perhaps, a short-term view, and I think we should be taking a much longer-term view of business. That's not to say that you ha- you shouldn't be focused on what the numbers are on a, on a week by week or month by month basis, but I think take a longer-term view uh, it is likely to be much more successful. A hundred-year view. Why wouldn't the business be in a hundred years? If you were, if you were building a business for a hundred years, what decisions would you make today? And they might well be different to the ones that you're actually making. If we if we go back to where we started, uh, and you were talking about five year plans, if that five year plan might be, I want to sell the business rather than have one for a hundred years. Mm. When do you need to start thinking about that? Do you, do you uh, start from five years before in terms of okay, well. You know, what are the preparation, what are the steps you should be thinking about leading up to the point of how to sell? I mean, even how to find a buyer could be one of the basics. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's the old adage of start with the end in mind. And I think I think there is a lot of truth in that. Prepping a business for an exit of whatever sort, whether that be a, a sale or an MBO or some kind of succession, takes longer than, than people imagine it's going to take. It, it, it's 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 going to take some years. It's not going to take some months. You have to really work quite hard at it. It's also quite a big mental shift for the business owner, um, particularly if they've started it and they've run it for a good many years. It's it's their baby. They are passionate, passionate, passionate about it, and to give it up is pretty tough. And I've seen business owners um, say to me, yep, great, want to sell the business, I'm going to do, go and do other things and get to the point of selling it and shy away because it's their whole purpose in life feels like it's evaporating in front of them. And that's quite tough for them. But they've probably got to do it. Uh, I, I went to see a business a few years ago uh, as a prospective client and it was it was quite a decent business, 10 or 15 million pound business. It was being run by a guy who was in his mid-80s. Not that that's necessarily a problem, but it was a problem because he wasn't recognising the fact that, you know what, he was going to have to retire at some stage. And he wasn't letting younger people come in and do the things they could do. Interesting enough, he'd still got old-fashioned ledgers on his desk, I mean, which was slightly scary. And the business struggled, and eventually it fell over and went whiz-bang, which I thought was a great shame. But he just had not recognised that there was a time to go and he was probably past it by the time I, I met him. So had he thought about that a bit sooner, uh, the, the chance of the business 
wouldn't have collapsed. It would have. I think there's every, every possibility in that instance that it would that it would have survived. Um, but he, in that particular case, could not face the idea of of retiring out of the business. Mm. And so, succession planning is a big thing for people. It takes longer than you think it's going to take. It's quite a big, quite a big job. In effect, you've got to work yourself out of the business. Well, that that leads me into maybe maybe kind of think about wrapping up a little bit, but. Uh, something else that you wrote, or actually something else that you, you observed, it said money can't buy you happiness, but it can buy you a lift pass. Uh, <laughs> yes. That's a skiing lift pass. Yes. So tell me about work-life balance. Uh, hugely, hugely important. I think over my working career, which is now looking back quite scarily long, I probably haven't always got that right. But it, I, and, and as I get a bit older, I kind of recognise that, that work-life balance is incredibly important. Family, friends, that's what really, really matters. Uh, the business should be, say, should be subservient to your life. Taking time to enjoy life is, is pretty important. No one knows quite what's around the corner on a personal level. So in, in, enjoy the journey. It's not about the destination. It is about the journey. So work-life balance, yeah, incredibly important to me. How many weeks a year do you suggest is the recommended dosage for skiing? Oh, for me, I don't think there is a recommended dosage. I think you can you, all you can eat, okay. <laughs> pretty much. So you're an all-in buffet kind of skier. Uh, yes, I I probably am. Yeah, I, I, I've I've been very lucky this winter. I think I've had about three or four weeks of skiing so far, and it's been fabulous. And I could probably take another two or three weeks if it was if it was put in front of me. Um, but that's because I'm a bit sad. I just love skiing very very much, and and to some extent, the the the, the slightly scarier the better. So back to getting out of my comfort zone. Okay. And what about in the summer? Uh, in the summer, I like to go sailing. Uh, lucky enough to live down here in Poole, so I get to get out in Poole Harbour and out in the bay, which is great. That's the thing that I, I enjoy doing. That's just, that's a great relaxation after a day's work. Um, I like to go racing because there's a start time. It means I have to finish, stop working, and because there is a race start at whatever time and the boat is leaving at whatever time, so you've got to be there. So that's my that's what I like to do in the summer. So yeah, they're, they're all things that keep me quite busy. So do you find you can completely shut off from all of those work concerns and actually reboot to some extent when you go get involved in those? Or, or is there other thing that, you know, both sailing and skiing are both quite driven sports? Uh, and do you feel like there's a kind of business allegory that can be applied and brought across? Well, I'd like to do things that are the the, the they're quite fast and quite fun. I'm not very good at sedentary sports and I, I'm just not very good at sitting around doing very little. I find it extremely hard. So for me, jumping down and jumping off a mountain or going racing on a boat is the kind of thing I like to do. Um, yeah, I think actually, I mean, sailing, I think is one where there's a, there's a really good example. When my kids were learning to sail in the harbour when they were eight or nine, they would sit in the, in the boat and they'd have their hand on the tiller and they'd have their hand on a bit of rope and they'd be looking down at their hands all the time and never looking anywhere else because just, there was so much going on in their minds. And I had to sort of gradually explain to them that they needed to look out of the boat. And if they looked out of the boat, that they would see other things. And, and as they got a little bit older, they they learnt to do the things with their hands within the boat without thinking. It just it just happened, but it was something that they they learned to do. And they and they spent more time looking out of the boat. And as a consequence, they they sailed faster. They didn't bump into things. Uh, they saw opportunities, and, and it's something that I describe to my clients quite frequently that they need to get their eyes out of the boat. In their case, their business. Go off and do something else. Let the routine happen, but actually look out and look look for opportunities because that's where you're going to find things. You're not going to find the new the new opportunities, the new fun things. Looking down in the boat all the time, they they just won't be there. So spend time looking out of your boat. Spend time looking out of your boat and spend time skiing if that's your thing. Okay, fantastic. 
James, so if uh, people want to get hold of you on Twitter, are you, are you James Aiken Smith on Twitter? Yes, I am, absolutely. And they can find me off my website, James Aiken Smith, and I'd uh, be delighted to, uh, to talk to anybody that uh, would be interested in finding out more. Fantastic, thank you. And just a last thought that if you are interested in the culture part of the conversation we had, there was a really interesting conversation with Sue Pilgrim, which is on the uh, 10th Degree podcast as well. So have a listen in on that. James, thank you very much indeed. Really good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed, Anthony. It's a great pleasure. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the episode. There's more information about all of our guests and all the topics they talk about at 10thdegree.co.uk. And also, please do review us. We really want to share the lessons and the advice that's given as widely as possible. And this really helps us to get that message out there. Thanks. Thanks.